Welcome to Streams of Progress, where we bring you weekly conversations with many of the UAE's prominent leaders and thinkers. Each of our guests are actively contributing to the vitality of the UAE community and economy. Our goal on the podcast is to inspire you to drive progress in your professional and personal life. Hi, everyone. This is Menard, and today on Streams of Progress, I'm joined by Tarek Sanad, the CFO of Fetcher. During the discussion, we covered his journey from the corporate world to the startup life and how he mitigates risk by making calculated decisions. So join us as we dive into the conversation. Today we're sitting down with Tarek Sanad, the CFO of Fetcher. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Before we get into what you're up to now and what you're doing at Fetcher, can you tell us a bit about your background and what brought you to Dubai or how did you end up in Dubai? Okay, actually it's a little bit more complicated than just ending up in Dubai. Um, I started, uh, I mean, if you know my, my story, it started off really university-wise. I never wanted to be an accountant per se. It was what was available because I was very late in registering at university and I'm a very pragmatic person. So I started um, by going to university, what's available and accounting was there. Um, I always wanted to be a pilot, is the reality of things. Um, unfortunately, for whatever reason, that didn't work out. And uh, after graduating from you know, my accounting degree, I got the opportunity to work for Gulf Air, um, which was great because it meant that I could be in an industry that I always wanted to be in. Um, and I did a role called the graduate entry management role, which was you do two years trying to find, you know, which kind of um, department you want to be in, and then you can be a manager, so there's, you know, job rotation, etc. But I also felt that my career was quite stunned because Bahrain is a small place. Uh, however much I love it, uh, it is a very small place, and I felt there was more to life out there. And uh, within the region, Dubai was always, you know, the, the hub of where things were happening, especially at the time in 2002. So nearly, oh God, that's quite a number of years, yeah, quite a number of years ago. And um, then I, um, I started applying and I got a job with P&G um, as a financial analyst. Uh, when I started at P&G, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a, this... I didn't realize how big the company was. Um, to give you a bit of perspective, P&G was just opening up their office in Dubai. Um, it was a two-bedroom apartment in Dera. It was not um, what people expect a PNG to be, um, which was great for me because um, that's kind of how I started. I was like one of the first employees, like local employees, help open that office, build that office in Jabal Ali. We went from like 20 people to 450 people. During your time? Yes, during my time. Um, and uh, we brought different business lines and I was always involved in bringing in a new business line due to career growth, etc. Um, and uh, that's really how I got into Dubai. So you wanting to move to Dubai was the catalyst for yeah. actually coming to Dubai? Yeah, I mean, in 2000, I, 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 uh, which was kind of midway through my degree, 
Um, I came here on a quick holiday with a friend of mine, and I remember sitting in city center in Dera, which was the place at the time before all the Emirates or Dubai Mall, and looking out at the skyline, which was much calmer, uh, yes, much lower, <laughs> flatter, uh, yeah, um, at the time, but still you had uh, Emirates towers out there, um, and I was like, this is where I want to be, and you know, my friend Hamad. Uh, he always says, you know, you said you wanted to do this. You actually went ahead and did it two years later. So, um, yeah, it was it was the catalyst of coming here. So you actually followed through on what you were yeah. planning to do. Exactly. So what was it that you wanted to be a pilot, but then you went into accounting? What, what, what happened there? So what happened there was uh, quite simple. The, uh, you know, a bit of family politics, which was dad's like, okay, you want to be a pilot? There's only one company you can work for in this country. Um, if they're not willing to take you on on a sponsorship, you're not going to get a job and I'm not going to pay for it, right? Gulf Air wasn't providing sponsorships to study to be a pilot. And therefore, I was very limited in what I could do. Um, that was one. The second thing was, um, you know, I planned to study something completely different. I mean, that was already when I was 16. I actually wanted to get into product design, uh, which was my kind of like uh, an architecture. Um, so in my A-levels, I was doing art, um, math, and physics as my kind of core subjects. Um, and then uh, for you know a couple of reasons, I couldn't go to the universities I wanted to go to outside of Bahrain, which meant I was quite restricted to staying in Bahrain. And it was a bit of a last-minute decision that I had to deal with. And just being pragmatic as I normally am, I just went up and said, what's available? I want to start now. I don't want to wait. Fast forward, you were in P&G. You were going through the different, like you were climbing the corporate ladder? You, yeah, like, pretty much. You started as a financial analyst. Was, yeah. And I'm guessing senior financial analyst after yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, um, in P&G, um, it is, um, uh, it, it's a... Uh, it's a grow from within kind of concept, right? Um, so it's quite competitive in that sense because, you know, it's a triangle and you're, you know, there's less people at the top. So a lot of competition, you need to grow. Um, and um, quite healthy. I mean, P&G is honestly, forget everything I did in school or university. That's the place I learned a lot of my, I would say, professional background. And... Um, and it is a school in itself. Um, that competitiveness between your peers is done in a very healthy way. Um, and yes, it was about growing to the next step. Um, there, is a, there is a part that I find a little bit unfortunate with the kind of grow from within model, which is, okay, that you have to kind of give yourself into the company, right? It becomes less flexible as you want to go up, um, you know, more and more time you have to commit to yeah I mean you have to commit to where the company wants to take you what's available and therefore the flexibility of staying in Dubai which is you know where I, I I'm an absolute avid fan of the country and the city um, and therefore I did not want to leave which meant my options were quite limited and was it because I know before Fetcher you were also at Kareem yes but that actually wasn't your first exposure to the entrepreneurial life, right? Yes, you were sir. also the managing director of Lime and Tonic yeah. Dubai, right? Yeah. So, how did that happen? Yeah, what uh, was that leap? Um, it was a very interesting leap. Um, so, as I was kind of considering my options at P&G, 
um, pretty much I had to make a move out of the country which I didn't want to do. So I was already kind of in that headspace of let's see what's out there. Um, another corporate was not... PNG was such a great place I didn't actually want to go anywhere else, to be fair. However, that being said, I started to look at the startup space. It was just starting, it was 2012, what was going on. Um, I, you know, I was 32 at the time. I was very comfortable financially to make a lot of decisions that I wanted to do and take some risk. Um, I started, you know, looking at some startups to invest in, and and I was reading. Actually, I was listening to a, a podcast, which is actually how it started. May um, I ask what, what podcast? Um, I forgot the name of the podcast, but the guy who runs the podcast is a guy called Wempi Dakota. And Wempi um, is this Indonesian guy who's into entrepreneurship and, and so forth. And he was working with Lime and Tonic to source them people uh, or countries to open. And uh, over Twitter, we had an exchange. Started to, Wempi introduced me to the guys, the founders of Lime and Tonic, who are based in Prague. I went up to see them. I was, I was in Berlin for work, actually. And then you know, I, I met up with them. And then they, um, they're like, oh, you know, they were looking at an investment. I was like, why do I want to put the money in you guys? Why don't I just open this concept in Dubai? And that will be my investment. Um, so that's how we started Lime Tonic. It was, uh, it was pretty much a two-man show at the time. Um, and, and, and I was like, it was, a, it was a way to kind of get involved in that sphere. Yeah. I had... I had left P&G with, a, with an option to go back within two years. So I was kind of within the, my own safety so net. So you hedged your bet. Yeah. I am open to risk, but calculated risk is what you need to keep in mind. And, um, and then I was really hooked on. Now, unfortunate as it may be, um, you know, global company went bust for a number of different reasons. I was stuck with a company without a company, um, supporting it in the background. So... Um, that was, uh, you know, something I, I learned the hard way, maybe. Um, but even before that, we, uh, I'd already at that point um, been meeting different people in the startup space in Dubai. Um, and that's how I got introduced to the founder, Karim Mudasser, who uh, at the time we had, a, we had a, just a chat for breakfast. And we were just having, you know, a catch up and... Uh, and he's like, oh, you, you have to join the team. And I was like, oh, I'm not necessarily sure that that's what I want to do. I was like, maybe going to another, uh, going back to the corporate world might be the right choice for me. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of time, blood, sweat and tears. And I mean that literally um, into, you know, into a startup. Uh, there's a lot of investment that is beyond money. Um, of your physical and mental self that you need to, you know, put in, and um, and then I met uh, more people working at Karim, and um, Mudasa was very kind to invite me to uh, a number of meetings of his kind of like the more senior team, and, and I was like, this is this is just really amazing what they've done here. Um, the intelligence around the table meant that this could be something and I want to be a part of it. And, uh, you know, a month and a bit later, that's when I joined Kerim. And uh, a few months later, I closed off Lime and Tonic and that's how it worked. 
And what role was it that you went into Kareem to so, fulfill? So, um, very funny was I went as a CMO. So okay. I went marketing? into marketing. Okay. Now, at, uh, at Lime and Tonic, that's pretty much all I was doing. I mean, the whole concept of Lime and Tonic. It was a digital marketing platform for hotels, um, the spas, etc., restaurants. Um, and that's how I got introduced to Mundasa, not as a finance guy, but as a marketing person. And, um, and, you know, when you first join a startup, it really doesn't matter what you're doing, right? You're honestly just solving a problem and understanding that problem and taking it by the horns and just pushing through. Um, I mean... Yes, I was CMO, but I got involved in HR. I got involved in a number of different discussions uh, that had to happen. We were a small team then, and um, so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, I discount titles at any startup which is less than thirty people. Yeah, because you have to wear many hats. You, you have, have many to wear roles. many hats, and you have many roles to fill. And, and honestly, you, you, you roll up your sleeves and you get your hands dirty, right? Um, and that could mean that you do something completely out of what you're normally doing. Uh, it's a, in a startup, your only job title is you're there to solve a problem. That's it. You're saying how wonderful the culture was at Kareem and how you enjoyed that. What pulled you to Fetcher next? Or how did that transition happen? Yeah. Uh, if I got a dollar for every time somebody asked me that, I'd make a lot of money. Um, yes. Listen, uh, Kareem was an amazing experience. It taught me a hell of a lot about myself. Um, it pushed me in ways that were quite challenging. Lime and Tonic was just the same in that sense as well. Uh, um, and what I realized, something that I have a huge passion for, is um, solving those complex problems at a beginning stage of how do we scale this thing? Um, and being a part of, you know, building something. Now, at the time at Kirim where, you know, I felt that there was less impact I can provide and it became less interesting, right? So um, it, it's all on personal preference. It's if you and Karim is at a place where it's now quite a you know big company and calling it a startup is uh, undermining its success. It's uh, in my opinion no longer a startup. Um, however, um, through a mutual friend, I got introduced to the the founder of uh, Fetcher, uh, Idris. And uh, Idris was at the time of he was looking for a CFO. I come from a you know a finance background. Um, the industry was very interesting. What they were trying to do was very interesting. It was just that rawness of, okay, I can do this all over again. Um, and it was an exciting opportunity. And that's when I was like, okay, this, for me, at this point in time, sounds a lot more exciting than, you know, and I can have an impact. And that's what keeps me going. Um, would I move to another startup right now? No, I w I just, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy where I am. Happier, and uh, you know that time in my life is probably, hopefully, over. So you've been at Fetcher about almost two years now, right? Yes, under two years. So, yes. how have you seen the team grow during that time? I mean, two years ago it was still pretty in it, its infancy, right? Yes. It was 
Um, it's a so when I joined, um, and we have our couriers uh, as you know part of our payroll, unlike a Kareem, which is 100% outsourced. Um, so on our payroll at the time, we had about 600 people when I joined. We're currently around the 3,000 mark. Um, so that kind of gives you a bit of an estimate of how fast we've grown um, and the number of people we've brought on board. Um, I'm Actually, you know, one of the things that makes me go to work every day is the amount of caliber that we have brought in at Fetcher um, is just... I don't think I've had an amazing team like the one I have right now. And... Uh, and and that's that's also part of the startup journey is the people that you bring along and you attract, uh, uh, which also makes it exciting because it also means you can solve any problem because you have the right people. The team's made of the right stuff. Right? Yes. Um, because in the end, that's the team that's building it, right? Yeah. If the team is not that great, then you know they're not going to build something great. Uh, so you were saying that uh, a lot of your couriers, the, your last mile delivery guys, they're actually employed by Fetcher, right? Yes. So, but I also know you guys, like many smart startups, do strategic like partnerships. Of course. In this case, I'm referring to the Oman Post mm -hmm. uh, partnership. Yeah, it's a joint venture. Joint venture. How does that benefit uh, Fetcher, and what exactly is the role of that joint okay. venture? So, um, our relationship with Aman Post is a great one because it proves that a government like Oman has confidence in what we've built to work with us to manage the whole postal space in Oman, right? Um, and having that opportunity to work together with the government is an ideal um, kind of situation, right? Um, and it's great because, um, one, uh, in the end, it also signals um, the strength of what we're doing. Um, and also, as you start to build volume and you start to build more complex um, requirements that you know different people have, that's really when you start to have a better knowledge base to build something that's a bit more superior than what's out there, right? Because that's, that's really our main mandate, is do something better. Otherwise, why would people, you know, where are we going to get the growth? Where are we going to get the customers, etc.? Um, so to manage that type of scale, I mean, Oman is not the biggest market in the region. However, it is a considerable market to address. Um, it just adds to, one, the learning process, and two, um, it just goes to show that there's a lot of investment and interest in the area and we're getting a seal of approval from um, a local government as well. So, like you were saying, you try and see what the market requires and that's where you're building your products or the type of offerings that Fetcher has. One of the offerings you guys have is the Fetcher Now, mm -hmm. which is under 45 minutes or under 60 minutes. Yeah they'll pick something up and deliver it for you but just thinking about that economically or even logistically speaking how does that work 
for Fetcher? I mean, is it more as a marketing element mm -hmm. or is it something that you as a business find this is something appealing to the consumer, the users of So Fetcher? we have um, we have different segments that we tackle. The segment that you're specifically talking about, which is um, which we call the now product, as you rightly said, is a consumer segment, all right? Um, and this is because what makes that attractive is I've forgotten something, I need something sent right now, etc. Now, what's been great about Fetcher is we have probably the best customized solutions out there, right? So this is a customized solution from a consumer standpoint that works on our stack. And what that means is that actually we don't use our own couriers for that. We use outsourced because they're out there and then we can ping, which is a lot more similar to a Kareem Uber model. Okay? Um, majority of our business, and this is where we have an edge versus everyone, um, is on the e-commerce side, right? With e-commerce deliveries, um, which is not necessarily consumer-led. Uh, consumers are receiving it. But our client would be, uh, you know, a, a dot com here or from elsewhere bringing in volume here. And this is really where we have the edge, right? Um, where that product is not necessarily what they all have on mind. Because when you buy something online, you don't necessarily want it right now. Uh, some people do. Um, but uh, you're probably mobile. It's late in the evening when you're buying it, etc. So You're not expecting it. Yeah, so scheduling is also quite a... Con you know, and that's one of the edges that we have, which is the whole scheduling address problem that we solve. Um, but the 45 minutes is, you know, it's a different business problem to crack, and that's, you know, how we've cracked it. Slightly different to our normal operating. And as you were saying about e-commerce, we've all seen in the last few years how e-commerce has really started to take off here. In part, maybe thanks to companies like Fetcher who make it actually easier for mm -hmm. smaller e-commerce e companies to exist yeah. by helping them out with the logistics and those aspects. But do you see a trend of maybe more competitors entering this space because of that? Because e-commerce looks very attractive now. We've seen these other smaller, not as well-known names as Fetcher, but we see these couriers come around and they're saying... We can do delivery for e-commerce business as well. Do you see that as a threat, or do you see the more e-commerce companies in the market as a potential windfall for a fetcher? Um, that's a very good question. It is, the barrier to entry in what we're doing is actually quite low, right? I can bring in a couple of couriers. I can work with a couple of e-commerce players. It's also very pricing-driven. I can attract to get a, cl a client, and that's not a problem, right? And that's when you're small. Scaling is a completely different ballgame, right? And we're beyond that point, okay? Um, the scale at we, which we run right now is very difficult for a lot of other players to reach. So, is there going to be a lot more interest? Absolutely. Are there going to be a lot more people getting in? Absolutely, right? It's, a, it's one of... It is one of the only growing segments within the logistics space, right? Nobody wants, you know, nobody's sending documents across the world. Like, you know, you have the email to do that and you can sign electronically. Um, you know, documents are a dying breed. 
um, which is what these businesses and couriers were built upon, right? Um, you know, banks are going digital, everybody's going digital. So the only thing that people will want to have delivered is something that they've bought online. Uh, you know, unless, you know, uh, uh, we can teleport things, which you never know, um, is not a reality. So there will be competition coming into our space. We, we, we see that. We see that with, um, um, you know, it, with different companies out there, right? The requirements of e-commerce are extremely complex, right? Especially as they get bigger. Handling peak times, handling the customer service side of it, it, it just becomes uh, very, very expensive and costly. So I think competition is great, right? In my opinion, if I, if I go back to the previous company, which is Kareem, you know, I think Kareem wouldn't be there if it wasn't for Uber as well. Right? There is something to be said about that uh, and how healthy competition is. Um, so I welcome it, right? Because it keeps us on edge. Yeah, and your offering starts to differ as well. Yes, because yeah. we need to compete because um, we cannot lose our edge. But there is, in my opinion, you're going to need to have a lot of money to make that work. And there's very few people that can tackle the problem the way we're doing it. So just my last question about Fetcher, then I'm going to yeah. come back to you. Is there anything that works for Fetcher in 2018 in terms of expansion plans or just new offerings and products that you can discuss? Or um, I mean, I'm not really at liberty to discuss, but what I, what I would say is it's going to be a great year for 2018. Okay, Back so keep an eye out for yeah, Fetcher. Um, this, uh, if we can absorb everything that's out there, we would have done something that um, is quite a considerable feat. Well, that sounds exciting. <laughs> it, oh, it's, it's, it's probably the most exciting time for Fetcher right now. So now I'm going to switch back to you. Since you said you came from P&G, but then you got attracted to that really all-in mental and physical startup lifestyle. I'm guessing you required some downtime to recharge yourself. Do you have any habits or something you do to actually recharge? I've struggled with that, and I will not be the one to say that I found that easy. Um, uh, well, recently, in the last couple of uh, months, um, I've taken on walking as a considerable important part of my day. Um, I do at least my 10,000 steps. Uh, um, and I think that's helped to clear my mind. You need to find a way to break because it can get quite overwhelming. Um, you have a lot of onus of responsibility. And uh, recharging is, is, you know, it's very hard to disconnect, right? Because it's some, if you're passionate about something, you will not disconnect from it. So it's always playing in the back of your yeah, mind. Like uh, it's like you know, if you love somebody, you can't say I don't want to. I don't want to stop thinking about them, right? Yeah. It, it just doesn't work that way. You're not. We're not geared that way. Um, if you're in it, you're excited about it, and therefore disconnecting from it, even though it might be good for you, is not necessarily easy or naturally done. Um, that being said. Um, 
one big advice I would say is I recharge with people that are very close to me um, and spending time with them. And you will make choices about who are the people that you will want to invest time in because you have so little of it. So I used to be a very social person. I used to have a multitude of friends, etc. There's no way you can afford to have that from a time perspective. And really deciding who are the quality people that are going to support you and understand the journey that you're going through. Because that really helps you recharge. And there's a couple of people out there uh, who all know who they are, but they they are as important to my success as you know everything I've done um, because there are bad times there are stressful times there are times where there's people that you just need to tell hey I think I might fail uh, you know um, and not be worried about what they think either so um, that, that to me is a one way to recharge as well just going back when you were talking about your walking routine mm-hmm. is it a morning thing afternoon thing night thing like do you schedule it in any way well it's in my it? calendar it's uh, in your calendar it's okay. in my calendar normally it's a morning thing um, it's a it's a no sun thing since I started to do this in June July um, so it's either before in the morning or after I get back from work um, but it's you know it's actually something I've started like you know some of my team know that I will take them out. I was like, okay, we have to go for a walk and we can talk about that. Walking ultimately. meeting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's... Uh, it is It is scheduled, though, in my calendar. Okay. So, it's a proper routine. Yeah. It's not, and I live yeah. by my calendar. Okay, perfect. <laughs> yeah. So, speaking of people, do you have any heroes or people you used to see as role models, either growing up or now, that you think to aspire to... Actually, I don't. I don't think so. Not at all. To be to be fair, no. Right? Okay. Um, I um, I'm a very uh, candid person in that sense. It's just that you build your own story, right? Uh, I don't need to look at anybody else for inspiration. Um, yes, I am inspired by a couple of things that people have done and the stories that you hear, etc. Um, you know, I used to read. Um, Branson's book and I thought that was amazing and uh, did it have a direct impact into what I wanted and what I wanted to do mm, no indirect probably um, but I wouldn't say that there's somebody I, I, I would have you know, aspired to be or that inspired me even when you were a child yeah well, you're, you're your own person <laughs> yeah I am yeah. very much my own person and I think um, it's you know I'm we're all unique in our own ways. And understanding that is a very challenging thing in itself. Yeah, especially with social media nowadays. People see that and think, I need to be like what I see on the social yeah. media feeds. But The reality yeah. is that, that that is exactly what reality isn't. Right? Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, you talked about walking as a routine. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other routines or habits you tend to do? Realize that the people that are in the office are also your team and what I mean by that is in what we do not understanding your team and the people is a huge risk because these are the people that are going to go the extra mile for you right and we all have different considerations different motivations etc so spending a lot of time 
together, be it on a formal or informal basis, is uh, is a priority uh, because that office the, or th- that team becomes your second family. You spend a lot of time together, and I think that is a routine of let's find time to spend time together and just talk. Well, not necessarily always about work. Um, I think that's that's very very important. So you try and connect with your team. Yeah. Beyond just the yeah, I mean, and it's not about becoming friends. Yeah. That's not what it's about, okay. right? People misconstrue that, right? It's about really just connecting, right? Spending time together, understanding what's going on in their lives, right. having right. the empathy for someone a colleague or yeah, or, and yeah. you know, people are people join this process for different reasons, and you need to understand why. Yeah. So. If you could give us some insights into what your typical day as the CFO of Fetcher mm-hmm. looks like, if there is such a thing as a typical day, what, how does it start? What, what, what's the flow of what? Um, starts is normally, um, you know, I get into an office. I have a pile of papers on my desk that I need to sign, um, and then you know everybody knocking on my door saying we have this problem, right? That's the reality of my day. Um, actually, I always say this to my team. I don't actually do the work, right? I'm, uh, I'm, my brain is utilized into this is a problem. How do we go about doing it, right? And working and figuring that out, um, which is exciting on some points, right? But sometimes even I'm over my head. Um, but that's the. Um, that's why I do it and that's why I find it quite fun Um, so a typical day is honestly I I I do a bit of time just you know clearing out emails responding to people talking to people understanding what's going on it's a lot of problem solving it's a lot of you know getting involved into okay why can't we do this how can we do that who do I need to talk to um, and then it's like meeting. Sometimes I have to go out and meet a client, or sometimes I have to go out and meet an investor, and uh, or so th- there is no typical day per se. But it does involve problem solving, <laughs> yeah, for the most part. Yeah. Okay. So I'm gonna go over our rapid fire questions. Okay. Just really short questions. Take your. It can be a short answer, long answer. Sure. It's fine. Uh, do you have a book you tend to gift to people or a book you recommend to people to read? Um, I don't have a book I gift to people. Um, I recently, actually just two days ago, read an amazing book, which I'm now kind of encouraging people to read, um, which, is, uh, which was actually given to me by an employee. Might say a bit about us, but uh, it's always good to know, which is Dysfunctions of a Team. That's the title? Dysfunctions. Yes. It, was, uh, it is a very inspiring book if you're interested in managing a team. Um, and it's quite eye-opening. Uh, so that would be a book I highly recommend right now. Um, because if I knew half of what was in it a few years ago, I could have made better decisions. Is it a fictional book, a story? or No, no it's, it's, actual... it's just a business strategy book. Oh, business strategy. Right. Okay. Okay, so if you could post a message on Sheikh Saad Road, either mm. going towards Dubai or towards Abu Dhabi, yeah. what would you like to tell the people of Dubai? Like, what, what message would you like to get out there? Life is short. Do something. Right? Get, get them out there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my point with that is life is short to do something. is just that 
I think a lot of people have a lot of trapped potential, right? Because they're afraid of themselves and what their capabilities are. Um, and if you don't take a risk, you're never going to find that out. So don't procrastinate and yeah. take that risk. Yeah. Interesting. Do you have any personal hobbies? Or if you had more time in the day, are there any hobbies you would like to pursue either on the weekdays or weekends? Um, uh, on the first part, if you have more time, you make your own time. I'm a complete believer of that. Regardless of how busy you are, you need to figure that out. Okay. Uh, what I do love and enjoy is being on the water, so I do row. Um, and that to me is, is something I really do enjoy. So, um, yeah, rowing is a, is a big. So you make time for that? Yeah, I do. Nice. If you could have a dream initiative or project implemented for Dubai, what would it be? Oh. And you've been here since 2002, so <laughs> you've yeah. seen a lot of projects implement. <laughs> um, yeah, what's left? Um, I think a greener Dubai would be something I would love to see. I think um, we've done great on the technology side, etc. I don't think, uh, you know, from an environmental perspective, I don't think much has been handled. And I think that's a shame considering where we are on a multitude of other areas. So greener in terms of more parks, greener just almost... No, I'm talking about environmentally, right? Okay. Like if you just look at, you know, what other countries are doing on recycling. In right? terms of sustainability. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't think we're doing half as much as we possibly can. Um, and it's a bit of a shame. And considering, you know, all of these tall structures that we have and the development and the infrastructure that's there, um, our kind of environmental uh, infrastructure is quite shocking. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity in that as well. Lastly... If there was a piece of advice you could give your 20-year-old self, and I'm just trying to do the math here, maybe that's around the time you actually did move? Yeah. I think have more confidence. I'm a very different person to today versus then. Who you were then. Yeah. Okay. Um, a lot more comfortable in my own skin. And what I mean by that is I always used to see things as being extremely complex that I won't get them. And I was actually just saying this a few days ago to a friend of mine. It's like, actually... There is nothing out there that, that, that is that complex. You break it down into little pieces, you understand it, so long as you have a, you know, a good rational mind, which you know, we're all human, so we should have that. Um, but uh, if I didn't hold back, um, and you know, these things are learned, but uh, I could have taken a lot more risk than where I did it. This kind of ties in, I guess, to the last question do you have any words of wisdom for the listeners of any age now um words of wisdom is might be counterintuitive you know counter to everything i've just said in the last uh, a few minutes there's different ways to do what you want to do and what i mean by that is you know a lot of people uh, read this fake stuff about entrepreneurship you should go and take the risk and do it and Yes, you know, it's, it's half of what I said, but you have to take that with a bit of a grain of salt. You have to do that in a very calculated way. You have to make sure that you are comfortable to do that. You don't go and do that blind, right? Um, and 
that once you are comfortable with that then go ahead and do it right and if anybody is going to get into a space make sure like I, i've seen a lot of people tackle great problems right but solve a big problem you know a small problem means that you're not really making an impact and nobody's going to be interested in you and you're going to struggle find a problem that is big enough to solve because that's what is attractive and that will keep you going as well that's like when people say find that billion people problem yes. i think they can solve a problem for a billion people exactly and it's kind of like what you said yourself earlier when you did enter the entrepreneurial lifestyle you did it in a calculated way you were you had that safety net you, yeah it was a calculated risk yeah it was to a certain degree and yeah however much you calculate it's never going to turn out whatever you you know at the moment i'm building a model right and i was like okay if we manage to keep everything in the model and uh, actually something is wrong right so the the calculate the calculation is to give you comfort and you give you a way to think of ways out and keeping yourself safe because the journey is not going to be easy yeah. it's almost like guidelines but that doesn't mean you're going to stick to it yeah 100% and just lastly uh, where can listeners go to get more information either about Fetcher about you where, where would you um, recommend them to go well um, on Fetcher you have our website which is uh, fetcher.us um, if anybody wants to reach out to me um, please just follow me on my Twitter it's tsanad um, and uh, you know happy to engage And uh, yeah, that, that, that would be the best way to get in touch. Well, thanks, Tarek, for being on the show. No, I'm glad to do that. You can check out this episode's show notes on our website at streamsofprogress.com slash fetcher. We'd love to connect with you. So follow us on Facebook and Instagram or reach out via our website. If you can please take a few minutes to give us an honest rating on iTunes, this really makes a huge difference and improves our ability to reach more people in the UAE and beyond. We hope you enjoyed the show and look forward to seeing you next week on Streams of Progress.